Hey, welcome back to That Recruiter Show, everybody. You've got me, Rodney Stegall, and David York. Welcome back and happy 2024 to everybody and happy 2024 to you, David. I know it's been a minute, but um, great to see your face on the podcast again. Oh, good to be here as always and happy 2024 to you and, and everybody out there listening. We're uh, we're excited to be here and looking forward to uh, looking forward to a good year. Appreciate it. Yes, likewise, likewise. And it's I think it's going to be an interesting one, um, which actually lends itself to, to what we're going to talk about today. You want to kind of yeah, tell everyone? Sure. So, so we want to start with because this is always kind of a kind of a thing. And, and I, I pay attention to this and maybe it's just the nerdiest nerdiness in me but um, <laughs> is is the World Economic Forum in Davos, um, which I think is always very interesting. You get to see there's a it's highly political, um, but I think that there are also some some interesting nuggets that you can take away from it that that are actually pretty informative as it relates to you know what some some really actually brilliant people are thinking and world leaders and et cetera, et cetera, about um, what's going to happen in this next year. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But I think yeah. that it, it's always worth it's always worth talking about at least to some degree. And so we'll distill it down to just a few a few big points. But um, but but hopefully that will be something that I think people will be uh, entertained by, if nothing else. And then <laughs> you know then the other thing rolling right into that, and I think it's very tied is just kind of some predictions for 2024. You know, looking at the macroeconomics, looking at you know, where do, where do we think this return to office is going to go? Um, jobs, all of, all of that stuff. And even kind of more broadly people strategies like HR strategies and things, um, you, you know, that companies may or may not think about as we mm -hmm. roll into, you know, 2024. So, so I yeah. think that's a, a pretty good place to start, Ronnie. Do we want to start with a little bit of, a little bit of Davos? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, you know, I, I, I think Davos is a, an interesting thing. It's masters of the universe come in and, and prognosticate on what they think is going to happen in the world for the next year. And so it's always kind of interesting to, to see what they think. It absolutely is. And I will say one of the things, you know, and I, and I looked at a lot of different articles and watched some of it myself and everything too. But one of the things that I noticed that I thought, that I thought was very, very interesting is, is it, it, everybody's watching the election in the United States, right? Uh, you know, for obvious reasons, right? We're the, we're the biggest player in the world. And, and uh, you, you know, so, so, the world goes in some respects kind of has, as the U S goes could be argued, I think. And one of the things that I took away from it, and I thought this was interesting is they're terrified. They being, I think mostly the, 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 the Europeans are terrified about Trump getting reelected. And I'm not going to go down the path of like, do you like Trump? Do you not like Trump? That's not where, where I'm, I'm trying to trying to go with this or, or advocate for either side. But I think it's very interesting that you've got somebody like a Trump who obviously sits pretty, you know, pretty much in that populist camp. And then you've got, you know, the Europeans and European Union and even arguably Great Britain, who's no longer part of the European Union, um, that is, um, you know, they, they lean more socialist. Right. And those two things don't typically mix as well. And so uh, and we saw what, what Trump did in his first term that obviously the Europeans didn't like as it relates to pulling out of the climate accords, as you know, as it relates to pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal, you know, stuff like that. And so I think that there's a lot of. I'm going to say like nervousness with it, which to me, I'm like, well, okay, I, I get it on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, Trump did, did do some good things for the economy in the United States of America, like at least, at least from, from the, the data that I have seen and, and even what I have felt. And so, um, but I just think that it's funny because it really does go to how much politics plays into what actually happens in the world economically. And I think that's almost like a no duck comment, but I think it, it, it bears putting out there because you can't get away with it. And things, one thing I will, I am, I'm sure of saying is that 
things will look different under Trump than they would if it was Biden. And, yeah. and therefore, you know, how that impacts the rest of the world will be different as well. Yeah. You know, love them, hate them, agree with them, disagree with them. What you can count on if, if he is in office is the same thing that there was last time, which is change. And when you're sitting mm -hmm. on a 4 billion, 30 billion, $50 billion company, the last thing you want to do is worry about change. You just mm -hmm. want the whatever good times are going, let it go. And you want to be able to see into the future. And I think with a predictable politician, you know that, you know, you kind of know mm -hmm. what you're getting, even, you know, in a normal year, you may have ideological differences, but if you're a multi-billionaire, for the most part, the policies that they're talking about and for your business are pretty stable and it's predictable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Donald Trump is a pretty mercurial guy. You don't know what you're going to get from tweet to tweet. So no, I think that's, that's got to be nervous for them. It, you don't, although the one thing I will say that was interesting, and this is one of the things even about the election that I find just generally fascinating is that, you know, you've got now you've got actually two presidents going up against each other theoretically. Now I'm, I'm by the way, I'm already counting on Donald Trump getting the, the nomination and you can, you can argue, could it be Nikki Haley? Probably not. Um, you know, and again, I'm just trying to go with like what the polls are saying. But you're going to get two ex-presidents going against each other, right? So it's not an incumbent person who's a governor or a senator or something like that going against the president, which is your typical. You Now you have guy that was president, guy that is president, vying for the presidency. And so the one thing that I think is, that, that the takeaway from it is that you actually have seen what Donald Trump will do. More so than almost any other candidate you could possibly – you know, like having that spot because he's been president before. It's kind of like if, if somebody's a CEO at a big company and then they're going to be CEO somewhere else, like, well, you've seen what they probably have done as a CEO. So, so you have some idea of what can happen, which I guess goes back to the point though, that he is a bit unpredictable and they are, no, and, and then, then that's, and they know that. So that's, what's causing, I think some of the, some of the nervousness, if you will. And and if you're at Davos, you are a billionaire, you're the head of a billionaire company, you're somewhere senior level in a billionaire company. Yep. And by extension, you are 99% probability, a globally minded citizen and business person. No and doubt about it. That's got to scare the hell out of someone to have a president of the United States who isn't necessarily you know, for some, for all intents and purposes, can't have a protectionist streak, right? So yeah, I, I, I think I, from your takeaway, right? I, I think I, I do yeah. see why they would do. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And then, and then the other thing too, kind of like that, I, I thought was interesting, is you know, talking more kind of um, in the macroeconomics, right? So it's, and we can talk a little bit more about that, just generally speaking, too. But the, the, I think the good news is, if it plays out like they think, they there isn't this big talk of recession like there was kind of last year, right? It, you know, there, I think there's more of an optimistic outlook on things, you know, maybe not as much at the beginning of the year. Everything I seem to be reading is toward the second half of 2024. But nonetheless, you know, you're not going to hit the skids at the, at the beginning of 2024. It's just going to kind of probably be a little bit more of the same. And then, you know, maybe with an uplift toward the end of the year, uh, which I think is great, right? So, um, you know, it's going to look a little different, obviously, in different parts of the world. Obviously, China's looking for some money and some and some things because you know, their economy is in a little bit of a different place. You know, Europe is pretty is probably going to be pretty flat. You know, the United States again goes back to like what's going to happen here, and I think that you know there's a lot of optimism 
in what's going to happen in the United States, which um, obviously then you know trickles into a lot of a lot of things for the for the rest of the world. Yeah, and I, I got the same takeaway that you did. I I, I got the sense of cautious opt- optimism, whereas mm-hmm. if you look at the year before, there was almost like a film over everything, and mm-hmm. that film was sure. recession, hard times for 2023, and 2023 was not easy for a lot of people. Um, you know, we saw that we're in an industry where where we talk to people who are looking for work, and it, it's it was not an easy year. But it wasn't it wasn't as bad as what I think a lot of people had said earlier in the year, right? So I think there was a exactly. you know, there was a lot of I don't want to say it was certainty, but I think there was a lot of recession talk at Davos last year. Um that didn't come to pass, which right. is which is good. And so I think, you know, something I mentioned to you off the air was hopefully they got this wrong again and they they undershot it and we just take off like a rocket towards the, the yeah. back half of the year but God, yeah god willing right i think everybody would benefit from that that would be good news you but know when you, pretty when much you have a everyone. group of like billionaire industrialists who are cautiously optimistic i think that's good reason for the rest of us to feel feel okay and i you know i'd bring that back to you know we had some good consumer sentiment um at the mm-hmm. end of december which i don't think it had been that high i think it was like five years or something like that so yeah. you know i'm I'm opti- I'm cautiously optimistic for the back half of the year. I am as well. I am as well. And maybe part of it, you know, you don't want to be cautiously naive either, but at the same time, you know, but, but I, but I do. And I, and I think that, that there is that takeaway from Davos that I think is, is, is a big deal. And, and I think it's good news for, for everybody. Um, because to your point, you know, 2023, I mean, I guess it could have been worse and you can always say that. Right. But at the same time, it certainly wasn't great for a lot of people. You know, um, and so I think that that having a better 2024 and then I think honestly, 2025 is going to be roaring. I think that's where, you know, uh, things are, are going to be. But as long as we start to see some improvements and then we can start to talk about the interest rates and all that, you know, here in a few minutes, too. But it's I think that's all good. And um, and then the other thing at Davos that I think is important is A.I., so that was a huge topic at Davos and how that's going to impact the world, right? It's not not even just in the job sphere, but certainly there's there's that. And and you know, you and I spend a lot of time there. But just broadly, how's AI going to impact all kinds of different things in the world? And the consensus is that it absolutely will. And and you know, I, I don't know that anybody has exactly a handle on what that actually means. Um, you know, we're starting to see AI implemented in certain ways already. But it's um, it, you know where this goes. You know, there's a lot of thoughts from a lot of really smart people. You know, if you talk to Elon Musk about it, he'll probably have a different take than, than, you know, Jamie Dimon or somebody, you know, like, it's like, you, you just don't, you just don't know. Um, but everybody seems to be coalescing around the idea that AI is going to have a big impact on us. Yeah. Um, I think you know, to your point, probably, I don't know if it's this year, we'll see it, but I think in 2025, we'll start to see whose bets paid off and whose didn't. Yeah. Agree. Um, because, you know, we had talked about the, the computing power that's going to be required. Mm-hmm. Who gets that right from a from a silicon perspective, right? Is Intel and Nvidia and all these guys, they made some pretty big bets in investing in in computing power and, and kind of getting mm-hmm. silicon available to do these things. Did they get the did they get it right? Or is it going to create a supply chain problem? Um, you know, right. IBM and, and, right? worker, and by the way, worker shortage problem too. Correct. Like and, and you have people who've already let go of people with the idea that we're going to replace them with AI. Did they get that right? And we'll start to see those things. And if we've got analysts that are doing their jobs, they're going to be asking those questions. Hey, you laid off 6,000 people saying AI was going to be able to automate what they did. How'd that work out? Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. But but I'm mean also even talking about the people that have to put together the computing power. You know, how is that? How's that going to? And even you start to think about like chips manufacturers, for example, right? They're they're opening up a big what is it? A big chips plant in Ohio, I think, or something. In Arizona too, among other places. Yeah, in Arizona. And so, you know, one of the things I, I thought was really interesting with that too is that there's already not enough people in the United States to do that. So you're going to have to just go basically, long shot. you're going to have to go basically pick up Taiwan yeah. and, and drop it into Ohio <laughs> and Arizona to have the, 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 the manpower right. to do it because that's where so much of that knowledge sits today. And, and, and maybe Taiwan would like that because then they're not under right. any threat. <laughs> right. So um, I shouldn't joke about that. I shouldn't joke about that because that's very serious. But at the same time, the, the fact remains is that we're going to, we are going to need a lot of people that we don't have in the United States to do some of that too. And so that's going to be, I think that's going to create a lot of opportunity for folks that have that knowledge. And, and I'm hoping too, that how does that then translate back into how we educate our people and get people into being able to do that, you know? Um, and that doesn't happen overnight. No, I mean, to be honest with you, by now we should be graduating five X more people who 100%. have that background than, than we have been. So I don't know how that, yeah. something to look into, but <laughs> yeah. And I can't, I can't solve that problem. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but the problem exists and has to be dealt with. Um, but, uh, and I think what's the other thing that's interesting about this, right. Cause in Davos for the last, I don't even have any, how many years, you know, climate has been a big topic. It's, right? it's usually the topic, right? It is usually the topic, particularly if John Kerry has any say. And, um, it it's it's very interesting because it's now you've got this all of this need for energy as it relates to the computing power and and i don't think solar and wind are going to get you there right so it's kind of like how are you going to and and if you want to decarbonize well how does that all sort of fit together and and so one of the things i read i and i thought it's very, it's very interesting how, how they're kind of juxtaposing like, well, we have this giant need for AI or we think we do. And probably if we want to decarbonize, how do we have the energy to do this? Nuclear, right? Nuclear. And that just, I think, has everybody like nervous. Well, in the United States, because obviously nuclear is more prolific, I would say, in other, in other parts of the world because um, everybody's afraid of, you know, the, the big old meltdown, um, you know, which I think in this day and age is probably pretty unlikely. Um, at least knock on wood. I'm maybe but I'm being I think optimistic. people look at Fukushima, right? And they're like, oh, they totally do. That was an earthquake. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I know, seriously, but yeah, but no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and it's funny. One of my, one of my best friends lives in North Carolina and like, you can see at the top of his, his second story, like straight over to the nuclear reactors, <laughs> like over there. And I'm like, are you good with this? And he's like, ah. <laughs> hey, if his house um, isn't glowing, it's all good. No, I know, seriously, he has a three-eyed fish around here. Um, but uh, but I think that it's it's a very real thing that's going to have to be dealt with, you know. And and so then it becomes how do you balance all of these things? And again, I don't know that anybody's got an answer, but I'm sure everybody has an opinion, um, right. you know. And and I don't, you know. Again, I'm not going to necessarily take sides in that, but it's it's it is a problem that needs to be dealt with. I don't know the answer. I, I will just say this just knowing human beings, we're consumption based. We're going to want that AI computing power and how we get there on the back end. 95% of the people in the world aren't going to pay attention to it. So how yeah. that power comes online, they don't care. They just want what they want. And that's, yeah. I think, well, and, you know, that's the way it's going to work. And out. in all honesty, and I hate to say this, you know, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers, but climate change is a first world problem. 
you know, you know, because if you're in, you know, if you're in sub-Saharan Africa and you can barely eat, you know, you know, you, you're, you care more about how you're going to get fed and housed and hopefully get your kids in schools and all those kind and, and, and right. disease prevention and all the, you know, the kind of the Maslow's hierarchy kind of stuff. Right. And, um, you know, not to say that we shouldn't address climate change to some extent, I guess I'm not, so I'm not going down that road, but at the same time, there's realities that we have to face with this. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, humans are consumption based. So even in the United States, I would argue many people, um, they want their gas to be cheaper and, you know, and they want their, their, their electricity to be cheaper and they want, you know, so the minute those things start to escalate, you, people start to think a little differently about whatever it is that's happening. And again, it's one of those things that how can you decarbonize in such a way that it's palatable to people too, because people aren't going to be wanting to give up a lot to do it, you know? Yeah, it'll and be I, interesting. I, I, philosophical, I know I'm, I might go into dangerous territory here, so it's very philosophical. But it's you know, but I but I also think that you know you can't underestimate human nature and, and reactions. Yeah, well, and when I you think- got these people that are that are separate from your average population trying to make decisions on it. I think that's where you get disconnects. Yeah, I think and and there's a whole technology component to that that we don't know about, right? So like there is the just the pure supply and demand of the energy. But then there's all this research going into efficiency, like batteries and things like that. Like, I don't know, like if you if you think about how much power gets wasted because it flows somewhere and just gets lost. I think I I took physics and I I remember my physics professor said, you know, a a car engine is probably the world's most efficient water heater, but it's not necessarily the most efficient way to power a car because so Mm -hmm. much power gets lost between burning those fossil fuels into the engine right. and the power that you get to the ground is, is kind of minute based on what you've spent trying to get it. Mm-hmm. And now I don't know if he's right. I'm not a physicist, but, <laughs> but it's the same thing, right? So if you can yeah. m- make those transmissions and things, I don't know. It, again, I no, I'm with you though. And I think that that is actually, that is one of the, and, and I think people are looking into this, but I think that it's, it's a step depending on, where you sit in the ideology, I think that's a step that is getting overlooked. It's like, well, how do you take what we have and make it more efficient? Therefore, you're using less energy. You're still using, you know, a carbon-based energy source, right? But you're using less, a lot less of it to get what you need. Yeah, if you're if you're you know, using there's fifty, good there too. That's, that's very good there, and then that helps mitigate some, you know, because people aren't necessarily losing out, you know, um, you know, but yet we're getting to, you know, this point where we're you know, decarbonizing to some extent. And, and so it's like, you know, that seems to be the sweet spot in middle ground, but, the, but I just, again, unfortunately we're so polarized. I think that you just don't have a lot of, um, a lot of great discussions in that middle ground. Yep. And we're probably losing people at this point. So <laughs> yeah, they're like, Oh, I don't know what these guys again. Um, but, uh, but anyway, anyway, so that's, I think, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I think that really sums up, you know, kind of the bigger pieces of Davos, um, with the exception of, and I'm just going to mention it, not to talk about it, but the, the wars, right. You know, you had, you know, Zelensky there and you had, um, you know, folks from Israel and, 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 and whatnot in the middle East and everything. And so, you know, those things weigh a lot on the world too, because obviously, you know, taking all the human tragedy and toll out of it, it disrupts supply chains. You know, it, it, it there's a lot to it that has a global impact, you know, outside of, like I said, of just the the sheer cost of human life and tragedy and all that, which cannot be 
cannot be underestimated. So obviously that was, that was a, a, I think a pretty big topic at the, at the conference. As and it's well. interesting, you know, there are going to be variables in 2024 that we just don't see here in January. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting. Like at some point, you know, we can remind ourselves like what happened between Jan- January and July or whenever we asked that question that we didn't mm-hmm. anticipate that impact of the economy. Cause something is mm-hmm. going to happen. Some. Yeah. What would I call that? The black swan. Something nobody anticipated. Something is going to happen. No one, no one saw Israel in a war. If, if it was August of last year, no one was going to say, yeah, there was, they were going to be in this knockdown drag out fight at this time of the Mm -hmm. year. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that impacts our year as we go. Cause we just don't know what it's going to be yet. So. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, God willing, there's no other wars that happen, you know, you know, because that's just bad for everybody. But it's, um, but yeah, you're right though. What it's like, what else? Mm-hmm. What else can happen? Something. Because um, those things, that's something. Yeah, it usually does. So those things and those things matter. So, um, all right. So I think I think maybe moving on, Rodney. Do we want to talk a little bit? And we've already, I think, kind of started going down this path. But you know, talking a little bit about 2024 and and kind of what are our predictions? Maybe talking a little bit about. Kind of the job market as it stands today, and everybody has access to these numbers. But you know, if you if you don't look at these things, we'll we'll share some stuff, and some insights with you, and then, um, you know, and, and then all the and then some of the other macroeconomics, like I said, like interest rates and 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 some other things that sort of flow through the economy as well. I think you know, and you know, my, my take on it at this point is you know, and a lot of what I'm reading, you know, there's been, and I'll even let me just step back before I even say what I was about to say is there's been a lot of prognostication for two years. And I think that a lot of people have gotten it wrong for two years in a lot of ways. I mean, there's been tidbits of right, but you know, I mean, it's been gloom and doom recession for a while at this point, you know? And, and I think that some of the old predictors aren't holding true. And I, and I would attribute that to COVID because what is the one thing that's been so different in the last few years, it's been COVID. Right. And so I think that that might've blown up some of the models at least in the, in the short term, as it relates to being able to sort of try to predict recessions. And, and we just haven't got there and, and spending has remained strong, um, which I think is propping up the economy. And, um, but I think that's what's, you know, interest rates obviously are very high now. So you'd have certain markets like housing and stuff that are, that are in a different spot than they were two years ago. But I think that as we roll into, you know, 2024, we're, it's, it's going to be interesting because I think that it's, it's going to just be a matter of like, kind of the more short term and then how do things look toward the back half of the year? That's kind of how I would, how I would frame it. Yeah. And it's been stable for a couple of months. If you look at the data, like unemployment hasn't had a huge swing. Um, if you look at the jolt data from the BLS, like the number of opportunities or job openings and hiring and, and leaves, it's been fairly stable. Like it now it has trended down it for like professional business services and some other areas. But it hasn't mm-hmm. been a huge swing. I think we saw a huge swing in early 2023 where things just went. Um, and right. it's, it's trended down in some other places, but it's been month to month, you know, a couple percentage points or, or, a, or a tenth of a percent here and there. Um, so I'm going to keep keep an eye out on that. And, and I think to your point, back half of the year, what I'm really looking at are job openings and hiring like are companies hiring at the same rates that they were in 2022 are people leaving their jobs at the same rate and are the number of opportunities out there the same now let's come back to 2022 it was a little crazy mm-hmm. right there's yeah. I, i'd never I seen that many job openings before so it doesn't need to get back to that level per se 
but it needs to get back to a healthier balance. And I think right now, mm-hmm. if you look at it, um, I'll take California, for example, um, the November 23 to November 22 numbers um, on job openings, California was down 435,000 jobs. Right. That's mm-hmm. massive. And so I'm not saying that it needs to get back to 2022. But, you know, if, if you kind of claw back 200,000 of those jobs, I think that right. makes you healthy. Um, yep. I think if you come back to 2022, that kind of gets, that was, you know, it was hectic for our yeah, industry, right? It, 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 God, to say the least, right? Um, and unfortunately, it led, led to some different decisions for a lot of tech companies and things yeah. too, um, you know, which is which was unfortunate for a lot of people. But I think the other thing that, that you mentioned, and I think this, this bears like double clicking on, is this idea of the unemployment rate. Right. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's out this three, it's like, what I think of what 3.7, if I'm not mistaken, you know, something right in that ballpark. And it has been that pretty close for, for a couple months. months. Yeah. You know, and so I think, you know, but people need to understand the other part of that is that equation is based on people, number of people looking for jobs, right? It's like people that have jobs versus the people that are looking for jobs. And when you have got the labor participation rate, meaning there are fewer people looking for jobs for a variety of reasons, usually, I'm being general here, but usually because they're discouraged, you know, um, you know, then, then that number that allows that percentage to arguably look a little better than uh, it would otherwise, if you had the same number of people looking for jobs that had jobs, you know, that number would go up, right? If you have more labor participation, you know, stuffed into that equation. And so, um, and I think therein lies a lot of the disconnect, even that you see, you know, depending, and I don't want to go overly political again, but right, you have, you know, the Biden administration really touting something like that. And, you know, but yet you have a disconnect with people and the polls show this again, this isn't my opinion, the polls show that they're not feeling it. And, and I think that's where that disconnect comes in is because it just isn't, it isn't, a 3.7% in a roaring economy. It's a 3.7% in kind of something that's sputtering. Yeah. I think, and I think any administration, people are kind of feeling it. Yeah. Any administration is going to kind of thump their chest with a 3.7. Oh, 100%. oh, without a doubt. But we've both been doing this a long time and I think we know sentiment and the prevailing sentiment is, is if you want a job right now um, compared to, 2022, 2021, 2020, you know, relatively you stick your thumb out during those years and you're going to get, you know, a half a dozen phone calls. Yeah. And now it's more like a ghost town. Where did everybody go? Yeah. And, and I think that's a sentiment that's pretty normal out there right now. It is. I think people are hunkered down. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and then you have the media that doesn't help. Right. So they, they obviously report on all of the tech stuff more than anything, arguably, um, because it's more sensational. Right. And so but but people, I think, need to realize that what's happening in the, in the tech sector broadly and what you're hearing about Amazon, even, you know, they're laying off people from what is it, Twitch and Prime Video and some stuff like that. Um, and then you're hearing about Google. I think it's going to lay off some additional people. Um, you, you know, that isn't necessarily reflective of the broader economy. Because if you look at the broad numbers as it relates to layoffs, they're actually down. They're they're not they're not high. It's just that's more sensational, and also because of those name companies that are doing it and all that. But I but I but the, that's a that's a good news, right? There isn't that sort of layoff kind of thing going on in in, in mass like you saw in twenty twenty three. 
so that slowed down, which I think is good. Um, you know, but back to the sentiment side of things and the factual side of things, right? There are not as many jobs available. Period. Right. You know, that that is 100 percent true. So now it is no matter what you do, it is harder to get a job if you want to make a move and more competition. And you then layer on the sentiment, which is, do I really want to undertake that? Do I want to fight that hard for a new job if I'm employed and I'm happy enough? Um, do I do I want to go down that path um, because it is so much harder and, and so then you've got people that are just kind of sort of staying put, you know, but the, the thing is, I've read some data on this is one of the stat, one of the polls I read, it was something like 40% of white collar workers want to make a switch in 2024 if they can. So I bring this up because you've kind of got this pent up frustration and demand for more opportunities and people are willing to move if given that opportunity. So it, any company out there who, you know, has a workforce like that and you don't have a retention plan in place or you're not looking at that, you're not listening to your people, you are at great risk when the moment things turn around. It, like even when jobs tick a little bit, the moment that happens, people are, people are going to start making moves. Well, there, and, there's still and, a lot of salary compression out there. Um, yeah from people who didn't make moves during kind of this, this spike that we had in inflation yeah. because people did, you know, people who made moves did well, right. You would come in and like, Oh, I got a big, big raise. Yeah. But there are sure. a lot of people who got stuck in the musical chair game. Right. So they didn't make mm -hmm. a move. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't really get any substantial adjustment, but now they're working with people who are making, you know, 15% more than they are. Or in an industry yeah. where like everybody's making that and I'm making this and their employer mm -hmm. saying, we can't, we can't, we can't help you here. We can't, you know what I mean? Yes. I don't want to say they can't help you, but you know what I mean? You know, the song. And dance. Won't. Yeah. You know, the song <laughs> and dance. Um, You're choosing not to do anything. So that pent up, um, pent up demand is out there. Yeah. And I think that it's funny too. And I, and, and I will say some of the other things, cause I don't know that a lot of players, employers are paying attention to this. Because I'm not, you know, talking to a lot of people all the time, and I'm getting a lot of like, no, nah, I think we're, we're we're pretty flat for 2024. I think we're good with our hiring plan. You and were thinking, in 2023, right, well, well, I said, well, <laughs> you, you think you are, and maybe you're flat as it relates to your net headcount. You know, yeah. Um, however, if you don't have probably higher than average attrition baked in, probably toward the back half of the year, you might be in for a really rude awakening. And and I think employers need to sort of prepare for that. And maybe try to mitigate it a little bit if they can to try to keep some of their people, you know, give that person the promotion, you know, that, that maybe you're a little on the fence about, um, yeah, I, you know, yeah. give them, let, give them those, those, like, those are the kinds of things that are very meaningful to people and, and companies to, 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 to play hardball like that. I just don't think it's a really smart thing to do. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. the projections that you're going to see people talking about in June, July versus what they're saying now are going to be very different. Mm-hmm. I would so 100% agree. So do it, it absolutely will be. Do we want to move on talk a little bit about predictions for 2024? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I um yeah, let's let's uh you know we're 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 um you know run a little toward the long side. We don't want to bore people, <laughs> but 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 I do think yes, I do. I do. So so I yeah, just what what do you what are your thoughts on that? So, you know, I I look Josh Person puts out a, an annual thing and so I always kind of look mm -hmm. at him. He's kind of the HR guru. 
in the industry. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to what he's saying. Um, you know, it often drives a lot of conversations in departments. So he actually put out 15 points and some I agree with some I don't, you know, I'm, I'm allowed that, mm-hmm. right. He's, he's smarter than me, I'm sure. And all that good stuff. But, um, <laughs> but there were some that I thought were interesting and and some of them were, I, I don't think are, are stretches. You know, the first I would say is AI. And I think his first two revolve around AI. Um, we're not going to go through mm-hmm. all 15, but, you know, AI changing every part of HR and the role in the company. I, you know, I think it's moving that way anyway. Um, so I don't yeah. think it's a big, big prediction. I think it's just kind of how it's evolving. And then same thing with AR, AI transforming the HR t- tech stack. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. the way it's going. Um, and I think to. people need to be prepared for that. Um but yep. I, I don't know that that's a bold prediction in the sense other than that's just kind of the way the tea leaves are, are set right now. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, and actually right along the same lines with that is the, um, you know, one of the predictions is about AI um, changing the way L and D operates, right? So learning and development. I think that's, that's very interesting and, uh, and very true. I think the more on demand stuff and, and more tailored, and you can do this with AI, right? More tailored specific training you can get that doesn't necessarily involve sitting in a classroom and all those things, which again, I'm not, I'm not saying those don't add value, you know, sitting in a classroom doesn't add value potentially or whatever, but I do think that AI is absolutely going to impact how the L and D function operates and the types and amount and and specificity of the training is going to be uh, in development for for people. Yeah, I mean the capabilities yeah. there, right? Especially with the technology that's there today, mm-hmm. um, it should be. I think the the hard part is just delivery. I think that the industry has a hard time delivering on what's what that capability is. I mean, you have mm-hmm. entire university systems that are online now. Um, there's no reason you can't replicate that in a microcosm in your company based on performance and all these other performance factors. Right. And so I think that industry is probably ripe to take advantage of some of this stuff. Yeah, I I would think so. But to your point, Rodney, and I, and I, and I don't want this to get lost is, you know, one of the other predictions kind of along the L and D lines is that they will just be generally more development and leadership development and those kinds of things. And I'm like, you know, while I would like that to be true, and I would like to say that yes, I th- that that is going to happen, I'm just not buying it because yeah. it just again, it's priorities, right? Companies will do things that 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 are priorities for them. That's that's just how they operate. And L and D and leadership training tends to not be top of the list in any market that's slightly tough, right? Like. It's expensive. It's a nice to have. Now, you, you, you know, you, I'm probably a bunch of HR people out there going to like throw tomatoes at me, <laughs> you know, um, for saying that. But, it, but you know, it's like, no, it's a must have. And it's like, maybe. And I think you can argue it, you know, but at the same time, there's reality around it. And I just don't think companies are going to invest heavily in leadership development and L&D, even with the capability that AI theoretically could provide. I just... I don't see that happening, at least not in 2024. Yeah. And there's, you a, know, there's a meaningful I, I maybe, maybe longer term, but yeah. Right. So, exactly. you know, I, I've seen plenty of companies like, okay, I'll send you to a conference and call that leadership development. Yeah. Or I'll get you a coach. Like if you're a leader, yeah. you know, a very specific leader that needs some coaching, they'll get you a coach, yeah. right? That's how they'll, that's how they'll, they'll invest yeah. in that stuff. But and that actually, more broadly, that leads into another one of his predictions that I'm going to call out. And, and just because I, I think it's silly, which is developing the HR leadership team will be critical to business success. And the reason I'm, I kind of make that icky face is like, okay, who's going to do that? The CEO, 
he's going to give you so who's going to how is that going to happen um mm-hmm. and and i i think to say you need to change as a department is you know that's universal we all need to do that constantly um so right. so i uh, i don't buy it as a, as a prediction. I don't either. And again, that's one of those ones you'd be like, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, but I just, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't see that as, again, it's not as, it's not a priority. That's a sink or you swim know? thing that you do or you don't and you die if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And it's no, just absolutely. I think the other thing closely tied to that, and we've seen this too, by the way, and you can argue it's priority, not priority, whatever, is all the diversity stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, one of the predictions is around the chief diversity officer will have to change. I agree with that. I, I do think that that's going to have to change. And does it mean that there is a chief diversity officer? Does it mean that, that that's more embedded with HR kind of generally speaking? I don't have the answer to that. I'm not necessarily, you know, you know, buying or selling either way, but we've already seen it, you know, that again, and I think it goes back to what is a priority of the company? You've got lip service priority, and then you've got actions priority. And I don't know that those things are aligning right now in a lot of ways, particularly as it relates to diversity. I mean, certainly if you ask somebody, if, do you think diversity is important? They're going to be like, yes. But at the end of the day, like we put your money where your mouth well, there's is. No and consensus I don't know what companies it. are. Right. There's no, and there's no consensus to what success looks like. Right. So it's, it's not like accounting, finance, sales, HR, where you know what, this is what good looks like. Mm-hmm. It, when it comes to diversity, someone may say, yeah, we want a diverse workforce. And somebody says, well, I don't care about a diverse workforce. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're like, you're in this conversation, like, the entire purpose of diversity doesn't mean anything to this person. And mm-hmm. there are people throughout all levels of an organization, whether what they say behind closed doors and not behind closed doors, you, you've got both sides of that, unfortunately. Um, yeah. You know, I think diversity is, is something that we all need to pursue because that's the world we live in. But there are people who, for all intents and purposes, it doesn't mean anything. And until there's that consensus, that role is going to continue to be a, a bear. It is. It is. It's going to, it, it will evolve. Hopefully I'm not and saying I don't, anything and I don't like think crazy. But... No, I don't think so at all. And, and I, and I, here's how I would put it is it's got to evolve. And I, and, and I do believe that it's not going away either. Like I don't, diversity is not going away because to your point, it's all around us, you know, and as the world is more global, it's more all around us all the time. And so in order for, I think, a company to be competitive, I, I really do think that there has to be elements of, of, of that, of diversity as part of the strategy, but then it goes back to how do you define it? What does that actually mean? You know, and I think that, you know, there's, there's different proxies used for what creates diversity versus what the intent was. Like I, I just, either a lot to it. And that goes back to the consensus idea and what is, what is good look like. And, you know, I'm sure I could ask some diversity practitioners, and they'll have an idea and they'll be able to tell me well, what they think good looks like. And I might even agree with it potentially, but at the same time, that doesn't mean everybody does. And that doesn't mean a CEO of XYZ company does, right? So it's, that's the thing. And, and, and I would even argue this, to some extent, HR is that way. You know, what does good look like? What is, you know, what does good look like for an, for an HR team? You know, I think some of the more like recruiting is a little easier because it's got more data, you know, like you hired this many people this fast, right? And these are the sources and whatever, right? Um, but certain parts of it, it's a li- the ROI is a little harder to track. And I think diversity sort of falls into that category too. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, Hey, look, I can be in, I can have a great conversation with a chief diversity officer. I could go have a conversation with a group of engineers and not tell them that I'm in HR. And as soon as you say diversity, 15 people are going to go. Oh. Totally. You know? Yeah. And it's just like, man, yeah. like, how do you, 
how do you harmonize that? So anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to beat that dead horse, but <laughs> right. I, exactly. That's, 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 that's a tough one. And I don't want people to think that I'm like anti-diversity. No, that's, no, that's no, not, not at all. I think we're just I acknowledging. Just, yeah, I just think though that it's one of these things that you have to, you have to look at the world, I think as it is um, so that you can deal with it. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm seeing out there. And then again, that's what, that was just one of the predictions. Yeah. I think we're just acknowledging how difficult that job is. I don't think we're, exactly. we're, we're not knocking it at all. Um, Right. So I think an, another thing that was on his list, on Mr. Burson's list, was companies will accept and adopt hybrid work models. What do you think of that mm. one? You know, I think he's right. Now, will that be 2024 though? 2024. Yeah, that that's where I'm a little. I'm a little. Um, I'm not. I'm not so sure, but I think so. And you know, and there's been, gosh, I mean, how much stuff is out there on return to office and where these CEOs' heads are with all this stuff? And I um. Uh, you know, and you've seen the number of even like fully remote jobs, the number the number has gone down um, and there is more of a push even to the five day work week than probably there has been in a long time. And but I think that it, companies are having a very difficult time convincing people that that is indeed the best way to work because they've all seen now we've we've done the big COVID experiment and we've seen how effective in many instances um, people can be even straight up remote. So not even in the office at all, much less hybrid, right? The much, you know, much less full-time. And so, you know, you, you it's, it's the, 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 why for people just doesn't exist. And so what I think you're going to see, and it's funny, I made a comment, I made a comment on something like this on LinkedIn, uh, earlier this week is, the, you know, it's this idea like the, and the, there was like a hypothetical put out there and then I kind of answered it. My, my thoughts and the hypothetical was like, there's a, HR position and it pays X, Y, Z and, and, you know, but it requires you to be in the office full time. And, um, you know, it's like kind of, would you take it? Do you think that's the right strategy? And I'm thinking, well, here's what happens with stuff like that is if somebody's out of a job and they can make that work in their life at all, they'll, they might take the job, but, but the minute they can get out and get what they want, which is probably hybrid at a minimum or possibly remote in some cases, they leave. And so I think that, that, and I don't know how long this will actually take, but I think that companies that really want to play hardball are going to find that they're just going to start losing the, the, the talent in such a way that it, that it's not going to serve their interests to play hardball. Um, you know, I, I really think that that's going to be the case. And again, will we get there in 2024? I don't know. Um, but will we get there the next couple of years? I think so. And I, I really do think that it will, it will, it will be hybrid. Um, and, and full-time in the office stuff will, will just not exist unless there's, unless you have to be right. Like if you're a doctor and you physically have to, to be there for people, well, I mean, I guess there's online medicine, but theoretically, right. Or a warehouse worker or something like that, where you physically do have to be there because that's where the job is. But in the kind of the white collar world where you can do a lot of stuff online, you know, you know, when your why is I need you to come back in the office cause you're going to collaborate. And then you're sitting there doing zoom calls for six hours a day. And, and maybe see one person on your team or zero people on your team. The why kind of doesn't exist anymore. So I will just say this, and I'm, I'm going to put it in the kindest way that I possibly can. If, if you have, haven't already accepted this as the norm, uh, you're behind the times. I'm trying to be nice yep. about this. And I would say if, if, if you're a leader and you're pushing back against hybrid models and remote models, you're creating an extreme amount of friction 
to, to getting mm-hmm. talent into your organization. Um, and I'm just going to yep. leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. And the data, by the way, bears out. Yeah. The data bears yeah. out on that 100%. Those, those jobs get far fewer applications, harder to recruit talent. That That is just a fact. And I would say that's true. I go back to, and I think this is going to be kind of an extreme analogy, but it's like, you know, work over time changes, right? And you might have asked, a, you know, a CEO back in, I don't know, 1904, well, why can't I have kids work 12 hours in the factory in their 12 years? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm a CEO and I think, I think that's what needs to happen, right? It's like, well, maybe that's not such a good way to do things, um, you know, and, and, and again, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think hybrid work and child yeah. labor are necessarily analogous, <laughs> but you know, but, but, the, but the point is that you know, you, you work changes and how people work changes. And and I've heard somebody there's a, I think her name is Annie Dean. I hope I have that right. She's the the oh, I can't remember what her title is, but it's like something like chief like remote work person at Atlassian who's taken you know a very staunch you know uh, stance on here is we're going to do kind of this remote first and she came from meta by the way but um she you know what does she say it's not a it's not it, it's more like a you know like a how you work problem not where you work problem right. and i thought i thought that i mean i think that really sums it up and you know as technology has gotten where it is like you, i don't know I, I i i think you are correct though in your summary that <laughs> if if you are not doing this, you're behind the time. So I am fully, fully in agreement with yeah. that. 2025, I'm going to be given tough love about it. I'm not going to be nice about it, but if we're, if we're still right. having well, this conversation. Well, the job market, the job market changes. And let's say that is like hardcore in 2025. Um, that's when, that's when companies will start to really feel yeah. it. Because right now they've got a little bit of the upper hand and I don't know that they realize exactly what's going to, what, what potentially could come their way um, if they, they don't if they don't pivot a little bit on their stance. Agreed. 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 So we're, we're coming up on time, David. I don't, I don't want to um, go over too much here. So I think, you know, we can probably leave it with that. I think it's an interesting list. You can yeah. actually subscribe to it from, from Josh person. Um, I, I encourage everybody to take a look at it. I think again, it's, you know, he's, he's not perfect, but you know, he's got some good points in here. And I think there's some things that people will, will kind of go, well, yeah, but, and then, Again. Anyway, it's it's worth a look. Nothing else is food for thought, mm-hmm. right? It's food for thought, and and if you're not thinking about some of this, maybe you should. Hundred percent. You, sh- you, you should know? have whether you, whether you agree with his stance or not. You should probably be thinking as a, I think that's another takeaway from as it. As a professional, you should have a thought over every single one of these things. If you look at this and go, mm-hmm. I don't know, then keep listening to us. You better you better find tune out. in next time. <laughs> yeah. <'cause you're> <laughs> um, but you know, that's it. That's it. Anything you wanted to, anything else you wanted to add? No, I think, I think, uh, I think we covered a lot today in our first podcast of the new year. And uh, hopefully again, hopefully people are taking some nuggets out of this and, and, and got a little entertainment and, and uh, again, just appreciate everybody that, that uh, supports and listens. And uh, you know, this is, this is why we do it. So, uh, I mean, I, I honestly have fun doing it too. So there is a little bit of that, but, but, you know, but we do it for you guys. And, and so hopefully, hopefully it's, uh, it's worth your while. Yep, absolutely. Thanks everybody. Appreciate it. And thanks for listening to that recruiter show.